you are receiving this transmission, you are reclaiming the faith with Phil Baker on the Fourth Watch Radio Network. Welcome to episode 84 of Reclaiming the Faith. I'm your host, Phil Baker. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode. Episode 84 is going to be the final chapter of my interview with Phil Patillo on church discipline. And in this episode, Phil is going to dive into how to confront church leaders who are in unrepentant sin, how to identify wolves in sheep's clothing, and also how to do church discipline in a digital age. If you're blessed by this interview, I want to encourage you to leave a positive rating and review on my Apple Podcasts channel, Reclaiming the Faith. And I want to encourage you to go check out my website, Phil S. Baker, where you can find links to my Patreon page, my music, book, blog, all of that stuff at philsbaker.com. Well, I am blessed to be a part of Justin Falls Fourth Watch Radio Network, along with BDK of Omega Frequency, who I do a monthly Q&A show with called Ready With An Answer on BDK's YouTube channel, Omega Frequency. So I want to encourage you to check that out. And this Friday night on that channel, Omega Frequency on YouTube, BDK is interviewing me about my latest album, Babylon. We'll be going over some of those songs live and some of the uh, behind the scenes stuff and that album, what led to some of those songs and so forth and so on. So please go check that out. Also, the early Christian quotes that I use can generally be found on the CD-ROM version of the Anti-Nicene Fathers, which you can buy for a mere $5 on the Scroll Publishing website, scrollpublishing.com. And I also want to get you to check out an interview my wife did on her channel, The Faithful Podcast with Stephanie Baker, the interview she did with Amy Watson of Wednesdays with Watson about finding healing after experiencing trauma. Just a great interview that you don't want to miss. All right. Well, without any further ado, let's go ahead and get episode 84, part three of my interview with Phil Patillo rolling. Uh, Phil, I did have uh, one more thing, sure. if uh, that's okay. Absolutely. Uh, one thing we haven't covered that um, scripture does address is um, discipline of elders. Uh, and it's addressed in 1 Timothy chapter 5. Um, I think I'm just going to read the verses that we find, and I think immediately upon uh, my reading them, we'll see some connections with... Um, what we have already studied. I'm going to begin in verse 19. Uh, Paul says, uh, Paul says to Timothy, do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. Those who continue in sin, rebuke in the presence of all so that the rest also may be fearful of sinning. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and Jesus Christ and of his chosen angels to maintain these principles without bias, 
doing nothing in a spirit of partiality. Uh, I think we can take this passage and see it as just a special application of what we've already studied. Uh, the first thing we can see is uh, with an elder, there may not be a step one. Uh, in verse 19, do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. So uh, it could be Paul is skipping uh, this one-on-one -on -one step, um, but that does not mean that it might not have happened. Uh, I think what Paul is doing here, right above here, Paul has been praising the elders. Mm -hmm. they're, they're worthy of honor mm -hmm. from the church. And I think what Paul is, is, in a practical sense, trying to avoid is every disgruntled individual in the church yeah. showering the elders with comments uh, as they walk out of the door on Sunday morning. You know, I mean, it could just be overwhelming to the elders. And I think the, the message Paul is trying to give here is, uh, let's make sure there is a case. These men were vetted. These men were chosen. These men have supposedly shown the character of an elder and have been serving the church. Uh, let's make sure that we have a case before we subject them to um, the process of discipline. Uh, I, like I say, I believe there could be one-on-one -on -one situations where uh, prior to two or three people coming before leadership with charge against an elder, one or more of those people may have tried to resolve the issue with the elder on a, in a one-on-one -on -one basis. Uh, the thing that I think differs slightly from the process for elders is, and uh, I know that uh, the basis for my difference here is uh, not everyone will agree with it. And that is that uh, I think that at the time Paul is writing Timothy, uh, Timothy is not in uh, church leadership in Ephesus. And the, the uh, instruction that I take from that is that if an elder is charged, then the individual, notice, notice that Timothy seems to be controlling this entire process. Paul keeps giving these instructions to Timothy, that the, the individual that is um, shepherding this process is either from outside this particular church or he is an individual in the particular church that is not a part of leadership but has the admiration and trust of leadership. Do you think that could be similar uh, to the Epaphroditus um, role that Paul gives 
um, with his letter to the Philippians, like Epaphroditus is his fellow companion, you know, that, that true worker, fellow soldier, all that stuff. And he's delivering the go. letter. There you go. Okay. Yeah. It, uh, uh, I mean, once again, let's, let's remember what we're talking about here. It's a charge against one of the elders of the church. Yeah. And it's a, it's a charge from uh, three apparently members of the church. doesn't have to be, but it could just be three members of the church that are charging an elder. So um, really serious. And if I think, I think one disadvantage of church leadership handling it is there would always be the um, cloud of bias. Mm. And in the last verse that we read, Paul solemnly charges Timothy to do nothing in a spirit of partiality. We would be doing a disservice to the elder to, so to speak, clear his name, but his name not really be cleared. That's the only, now, uh, as I said, it could also be someone from outside the church. There actually exists Christian organizations uh, who do this sort of service for churches uh, for matters that involve a member of the, of the leadership. Now it's saying to do it in the presence of all so that the rest may, you know, stand in fear, right? Can you comment on that a little bit? Thank you, man. I, I forgot to say something there. Um, First, a tricky passage. You could get differences of opinion on this. Uh, I am following the um, the work of uh, Mounts in his uh, Word Bible Commentary on the Pastoral Epistles, and he comes to the conclusion that uh, the all refers to the church body, members of the church, the rest refers to the rest of the elders. Uh, so you'll get different combinations of those from different opinions, but I feel he has a good argument that this would read uh, rebuke in the presence of the entire church so that the other elders may also be fearful of sin. So, and I might be asking too much right now, but would would you mind like painting for our listeners how that might work in a traditional church setting? Yes, I think um, I think once again we would um, that first there would not have to be anything said until the process is complete. Again, we're trying to um, respect. Um, the individual who is being charged. But notice this individual not only has the charge brought against him, uh, but he continues to sin. Uh, So in that case, I think once again, in a closed meeting of church members, this elder is called out, Uh, It probably means loss of his position. And I would assume 
that it means his entrance into some sort of um, counseling that has been approved by the leadership. The, a lot of that last part was speculation on my part, but uh, I'm just trying to make it um, coordinate with what we've already studied. Yeah. No, I appreciate it. So I asked you how it would work in like a, uh, a standard traditional church setting. And that's kind of how we've been approaching this stuff. Do you have any, like any advice? And I'm not talking about, you know, elders in particular, you know, without sinning, but just, and I'm not asking you to treat this whole thing from a, uh, a digital age standpoint, but like, do you have any advice for communities? There's so many communities that are just doing things digitally now. And there's yes. some that are not even affiliated with a particular church, like a 501c3 kind of thing, but it's this group of Christians and they're doing it digitally. Um, do you have any advice for them on how to practice church discipline in a digital setting? A good question, Phil, a hard question. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, I'm going to, first I'll give you my um, uh 80% solution, and then uh, maybe we can talk about some exceptions. Um, if the digital church is being done for convenience, for example, all the folks are within driving distance of each other, an easy drive of each other, um, I do not think that any step in this process should be performed digitally. Yeah. Uh, and the main reason is that uh, folks more adept than me at computers can copy anything. Mm. And it's just too easy once a copy of something is made mm. for it to get distributed. So, so my, my, my baseline answer would be uh, just put on a mask if the pandemic is still here, maintain social distancing, but go to that individual and uh, confront them face-to-face. -face. And then you now have the, the exception, exceptions. Yeah. Yeah. The exception that occurred to me is, uh, for example, I am part of a digital church right now. And uh, one of our members isn't even in the same state. Right. Okay. And in that situation, uh, I think at that point, uh, it would be um, good. It would be, let me put it this way. It would be better to heal the individual the peaceful fruit of righteousness, it would be better to heal that individual by uh, approaching them digitally uh, than to just let the matter go. Uh, that's, that's the only exception that I could come up with. Uh, maybe, maybe with your help, we can reach some others. But I, th I think if it's possible, um, Go. What about 
and I'm sorry to, to spring this on you, but because uh, it's not something we discussed earlier, but the idea of dealing with wolves in the flock, like um, Jesus talks about wolves in sheep's clothing. Paul talks about in a, uh, Acts 20 to the Ephesian elders, how the savage wolves are going to come into your midst um, and, yeah. and other passages as well. Um, so can you speak to how the church should deal with wolves? And like, I mean, part of that is identifying a wolf and then dealing great. with it. No, I, I think, I think you hit on a great point there, Phil. Uh, first, let's remember we had three reasons for discipline, uh, restoration, uh, reconciliation that doesn't apply to a wolf. Uh, but protection and honor do. And um, the thought that occurs to me is uh, a passage from uh, John's first epistle. Uh, John, I'm going to read two verses from chapter 2, verses 18 and 19. John says, Children, it is the last hour. And just as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, and even now many Antichrists have arisen, from this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out in order that it might be shown that they all are not of us. Uh, I think my inclination would be, even if I suspected the individual to be a wolf, would be to start the discipline process and give them the benefit of the doubt. And the reason I say that is because of what you said. First, you have to identify them. So if I um, enter a wolf in the process of Christian discipline, my expectation is the wolf is going to howl hmm. and that we, there would be uh, an immediate escalation to witnesses, an immediate escalation to church leadership, and the individual would be gone and they would have no inclination to return. And so I would, I think I would go ahead and use the process praying diligently that by some miracle this individual is turned, but hoping to protect the church body and the honor of Christ Jesus by the confrontation. Man, that that's really bringing to mind that first Timothy five passage, the, the um, Paul's exhortation to the elders to do it without any kind of partiality. Because yeah. if, if this wolf is in sheep's clothing, he's going to, or she, whatever, is going to be trying to, appear like a wolf or sorry, appear like a sheep, like a sheep that's being wounded by a wolf almost. And 
man, there's got to be a lot of discernment going on and people trying really hard to put away bias. And maybe that's why, you know, your advice about getting an outside organization to come in, um, functioning like a Timothy would be so important. Somebody has no skin in the game other than they're for the Lord and they want to bring health to the body. Yes, and, and I have heard from, from people familiar with these groups, Phil, that, that they are excellent at uh, preserving uh, the process and working it right so that the church is protected. Do you, do you know by chance the name of one of those organizations? I'm, I, may, I may give you the guy's name wrong, uh, but the, the name that I was given is Ken Sanders. Okay. And I believe uh, some part of the title of his group has to do with peacemakers. Well, Phil, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. So, man, this has just been such a blessing for me. And I know it's going to be a blessing for for those who listen because this is such a relevant subject um, and such a necessary subject for the body of Christ to learn about and to practice. So um, is there any last word of exhortation for us or advice that you'd like to give? Thanks, Phil. Uh, I'd like to leave everybody with, with two things. Number one is the promise from Jesus in verses uh, 16 to 18, that we have this authority and heaven is with us all the way. So there is uh, really no excuse for us not to uh, practice this because uh, of all the positive things that can happen. The reconciliation, uh, the protection of the church, and the honor uh, that it gives Jesus. Uh, The second thing I would say is this. Uh, When in doubt... Several places in several of his letters, Paul issues a sentiment similar to the one uh, that he issues in Romans chapter 13, verse 8. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. I want to do the right thing. When in doubt, love my neighbor. When in doubt, give the suspected offender the benefit so that at no point am I the reason that the process fell apart. Just a typical morning In a flash it all changed When words written on pages became What my eyes saw that day See the Holy One's glory You'll know it's the end 
Your fire surprised me instead Your mercy I can't comprehend Won't you send me Blood 